Well, good morning, everybody. As Jerry said, uh, our series, The Valley, comes from Psalm 23, and specifically from the passage in verse 4. If you have your Bibles, you might open them there. We're going to spend all morning in Psalm 23. It's page 382 in these Bibles on the floor around you. But specifically, verse 4, verse 4 says this, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And you may have noticed this morning that our uh, worship set had a theme, a very specific theme about not being afraid, about not having to fear because God is with us. And so uh, that's what we're going to talk about. The valley is all about those places in your life when you're, when you're down. You're not sure where to go next. And it may, sometimes it manifests itself as anxiety or depression uh, or just a general sadness or malaise. But the truth is that all of us go through those valleys. They're guaranteed. They are guaranteed to happen in our lives. And uh, being a follower of Jesus doesn't keep you from those valley seasons in your life. In fact, Jesus himself warned us that they were a guarantee. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. In other words, Jesus is telling us there are really only three kinds of people in this world. There are people that are in the valley now. There are people that have come through the valley. And there are people who are going to go into the valley. Aren't you so glad you came to church this morning to get that kind of encouragement? Isn't that great? But I want you to hear what else Jesus had to say. Because he said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. In other, in other words, he says, uh, you know, if, like, if you're in a locked room, who do you look for? You look for the guy with the key, right? If you've ever gone to an escape room, what's your, your job? Your task is to find the key, to find the way out, right? Jesus says, take heart, for I have the key. I know how to get out. Sometimes you're gonna get stuck, but I've got the key to get you out. And so our goal for this series has been, and we said this last week, our goal for this series is to discover, or for some of us to rediscover eternal hope in knowing that we never go through these valleys and seasons alone, that we have a shepherd, a good shepherd who knows what it means to be in the valley and he knows how to get us through it. And so we're spending six weeks looking at the 23rd Psalm. It's one of the most uh, best known, most well-known, most well-known passages in all of scripture. Uh, it's, it's short, but so profound. And it holds the key, or at least one of the key to helping us uh, understand how to walk through these valleys and helping us know that we are not going through these seasons alone. And so last week, we started out by looking at the very first verse, Psalm 23, 1, which says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And Jerry did a great job, I thought, of reminding us what it means for the Lord to be our shepherd is that God loves us, that he loves not just us as a whole, but he loves each of us individually. He said the word God, the, the word for Lord there, Yahweh, uh, is the creator God, but he's also a very personal God, that it's not enough to know and understand that God so loved the world, which is true, but that he so loved me and he so loved you that he came to earth and sent his son. Uh, and, and that when we truly believe that, and we truly understand that, and we live out of that identity, that God goes from being just some kind of like distant creator, some infinite being, to being a, a guide for our lives, a provider, a protector, a leader for how we live our lives. And so we're gonna continue that theme today as we look at the second verse. Verse two of Psalm 23 says this, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And one of the things that I love about Psalm 23 is there's so much hidden 
meaning and depth and richness that we just don't really understand. I mean, unless we happen to have sheep. And uh, most of us don't have sheep. The author David would have understood this perfectly, obviously, um, since he had been a shepherd before he was a king. And many of his readers in the first century, well, they would have understood some of the hidden meaning behind this much better than we would, because even if they weren't shepherds, they probably would have known a shepherd. Uh, But for us in the 21st century in suburbia, really, unless we dig into this language and uh, into this language, the meaning is in danger of flying right over our heads and we're bound to miss it. Uh, So I did some research this week, read through a few books, a few articles about um, what the 23rd Psalm really means. And I found some fascinating information about sheep. Now, if you're a sheep farmer, you may already know this. So I'm sorry if this is uh, not new information for you. But for most of us, I hope this will be helpful in helping us understand what it means that he makes us lie down in green pastures. And so the first thing I found out is from uh, pastor and author Philip Keller. He spent some time as a shepherd in Africa when he was in his youth, and then he became a pastor. He says this about sheep. He says that sheep can only be made to lie down when these four conditions are met. They all have to be met. One, they have to be free from all fear. And number two, there can't be any friction or conflict within the flock. The third thing is they have to be free from flies and all other pests. And fourth is they have to be satisfied. They cannot be hungry. And so Keller goes on to say that when we understand how finicky sheep are, Uh, about these conditions, you can see why the shepherd plays such a crucial role in helping them lie down. In other words, for sheep to be completely free from fear, for instance, they have to trust that they have a good shepherd and that the shepherd has their best interest at heart. But you already knew that if you were here last week. So we're going to skip past that, what Jerry talked about, and we're going to go to something else. I want to focus on something else that we see in this verse, the idea of how important it is that we lie down, sometimes even in green pastures. It's this idea of how important it is for us to rest. And especially in dealing with these valley seasons in our lives, how important is it that he makes me lie down in green pastures, that he leads me beside still waters. So to understand that better, let's head back to the first century, to the life of a sheep in Palestine. When we think of green pastures, we think of a scene that might look like this, right? And this is sheep in a green pasture, endless fields of lush green grass. And the Bible had, if it had been written in the Midwest, that's exactly what it would have looked like, probably nine months out of the year, lush green pastures, endless grass, but it wasn't. It was written in Israel, where nine or 10 months out of the year, the greenish pastures might look like this. Small clumps of green grass surrounded by oceans of brown dirt. Not a whole lot of places to go. So for most of the year, the sheep have to scrounge and forage just to find enough grass to eat. It's pretty much a full-time job for a sheep. Don't you feel sorry for them now? If you're a sheep, your full-time job is looking through, picking through for some delicious grass and eating it. So imagine now when the rainy season comes and for those two or three months out of the year in Israel, the green pastures are truly green, more like this one on a hillside in Israel. Sheep, when they get into this circumstance, will eat and eat and eat all day long. It's like endless Thanksgiving for sheep. It's like two or three months of Thanksgiving. And Here's the other thing you need to understand about sheep. They can only eat standing up. A sheep cannot eat lying down, but they have to lie down to digest their food. 
So if you're a sheep and you're in a green pasture, what you wanna do is eat and eat and eat and eat, but the shepherd knows, no, you need to lie down, you need to digest. So the shepherd will make the sheep lie down. Now you don't know this, you may know this, you can teach a dog to lie down. I've never been able to teach my dog to lie down, but you could probably teach a dog to lie down, but you can't teach a sheep to lie down. You have to make a sheep lie down. But sheep are easily frightened creatures. So left to their own devices, they would stand and eat and eat until they've gorged themselves and can't eat anymore. So it's up to the shepherd to make them lie down, even in, and maybe especially in, green pastures. We'll come back to that in a few minutes, but I wanna look at the still waters. Sheep need water to drink, duh, right? But every day they need water to drink. But sheep, we already said, are anxious and skittish animals. And so the running water, the spring water, even though it has the cleanest, clearest water, is too turbulent for the sheep. They won't drink out of it. It's too noisy, too loud. They're afraid to go near it. So they will run toward the water when they hear it running. But once they get there, they won't go drink out of it because they're too anxious. They back away from it. So a good shepherd will have to do one of two things. One, either lead the sheep out of his way to a place where the water is still, or a really, truly good shepherd will dig a trench away from the running water to build a pool where the water can be still and the place where the sheep can rest. So when we put those two parts of verse two together, what we see is this, the good shepherd wants to lead us to a place of rest. How important is rest to us? How important is rest to the Christian life? Well, it's so critical that God modeled, for it, modeled it for us from the very beginning of time, from the very first book, for the very first chapter of the very first book in the Bible. If you look at the pattern of creation, we see in Genesis chapter one, that in six days, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything in them. And then on the seventh day, he rested. And he didn't rest because he was tired or because he'd had enough or he couldn't, just couldn't take it anymore. He rested, I believe, because he was setting a pattern for us to follow. That, that he was creating these people, these people that were made in his image, and they needed an example for how to live their lives. But the pattern doesn't just stop in Genesis chapter one. We see this pattern repeated over and over throughout scripture. In the book of Exodus, uh, God's people are wandering in the desert with no feed, food to eat. And so God sends manna from heaven down for them to have something to eat. But he sends it for six days and he tells them on the sixth day, collect enough for two days because on the seventh day, there will be no manna. On the seventh day, you have to rest, right? And so they do that, they rest. And then when they get to the promised land, uh, this land that God had promised uh, the ancestors of the, the people of Israel, many, many years before, God instructed them to plant their fields, plant their crops and let them grow for six years. But then on the seventh year, you have to let the land rest. They're not supposed to plant. The land was to go unused so it could rest. What's the moral of the story? That everything God created needs rest. And so when I talk about rest, there seem to be about four cycles of rest that we see in scripture laid out as a pattern for us. There, there's a daily cycle of rest. We call that sleep, right? You work during the day, you sleep at night, or if you're on a, an off shift, maybe you work during the night and sleep during the day, but there's this uh, work, sleep, work, sleep, work, sleep, right? And then um, after an extended period of time, say six days, there's kind of a weekly cycle of rest where we need at least a day off of work a week. Uh, we call that a weekend, right? A day off of work. And then there's an annual cycle where you work for several weeks and then you take a, a vacation or an extended time away from work. And then there seems to be another one I'm not going to really hit on, but um, after uh, several years, 
um, seven years, uh, really. It seems to be about the right period of time. Uh, there's, a, there's an extended break that we need. And so the way that kind of plays out in society now is uh, on average, I don't know if you know this, on average, uh, the average American moves about every seven years because they get tired of their house. The average American changes jobs every seven years because they get tired of their jobs. And in a relationship, we, you often heard about the seven-year itch, right? What happens is when we don't take, be intentional about resting and we don't take the time to think about how we rest, these things start to build up in our lives. And we see these patterns actually happen in our lives whether we want them to or not. We need extended time away from work. Uh, every seven years, by the way, it's called a sabbatical, which is based on the Hebrew word Sabbath. So you and I, we need nightly rest. We need weekly rest and we need yearly rest. We need to take that time off at least once a year, extended time and every few years to take longer than that. Is that now, is that because it's the law? Is that because God said to the Israelites, take a Sabbath, observe the Sabbath, don't forget the Sabbath? Well, not exactly. Instead, I think it's because that's the way he created us. And that's the pattern that he laid out for us, a pattern of how to work and rest. Now, I think if I were to go around the room right now and talk to each of you individually, we would all agree that rest is best, right? I, I love that you're right, Steve. I think you're right. We all need time to rest. Amen. I agree with that. But seriously, I mean, who has time for rest, right? I mean, who has time for that? There's, there's too much to do. It, it reminds me of the story of a pastor who was driving by his friend's church. His friend was also a pastor. On a Saturday, he saw his buddy's car in the parking lot and thought, wonder what he's doing working in there on a Saturday. So he goes into the church and says, friend, you need to take some time off. You need to take a day off. And the pastor who's in the church says, I never rest because the devil never rests. And the other pastor says, yes, but is that the example you want to follow? Right? No, we all need to rest. Why is it important? Why is it important that we get rest? Well, there are at least three things that happen when we don't get rest. I've seen these personally. I've read about these this week. The third, first thing is this. We get angry and irritable when we don't have rest, right? You know this empirically. I don't have to tell you this, but I'm telling you scientifically, we get irritable when we don't rest. There was a study just this year or last year, 2018, by Iowa State University that showed a very strong correlation between lack of rest, specifically lack of sleep and anger. What they did was they brought in uh, two groups. One was a group that got at least seven hours of sleep every night. And then one was a control group that they gave, that they woke up after four and a half hours. Now, how would you like to be in that group, right? Every, every night for four weeks, four and a half hours sleep. Um, some of you are like, I'd love to have four and a half hours sleep. But this was an intentionally shortened sleep cycle. And then what they did was they brought them in and they had them do product reviews on the web. So if you've been on Amazon, you've probably seen the work of this, uh, this group. But what they found out was that Time after time after time, anger was generally higher in all circumstances for the subjects who had shorter sleep. So for people who were sleep deprived. So we get angry and irritable when we don't rest. The second thing is this. When we don't rest, we're much more prone to anxiety and depression. Yes, those are disorders. Yes, they're sometimes caused by chemical imbalances. Yes, sometimes it takes therapy and even medication to treat them. But regular rest can help and can help especially keep the symptoms at bay. One famous therapist is quoted as saying, when a client comes into my office suffering from anxiety or depression, I tell them, go home and commit to getting eight hours of sleep every night this week. When you wake up every morning, make your bed and then come see me in a week and then we'll talk. Right? Why? Because it's scientifically proven that rest helps the brain. Did you know that your body works and is broken down during the day and then it 
rebuilds itself at night. It recovers at night. And this includes your brain. Every function in your body is better improved by sleep. Rest helps us not to, be, uh, not to suffer with the symptoms of anxiety and depression. And the third thing is this. So we, we get angry and irritable. We are more prone to anxiety and depression. And the third thing is when we don't get regular rest, we're more inclined to sin. Now, this only makes sense because when we're tired, we don't think as well, right? We don't often think through the consequences of our actions. And scripture reminds us that sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. You know, so many times, several times I've met with men who struggle with pornography addiction. And when they go to see a counselor or a therapist or whoever's helping them through this uh, addiction, they're instructed, they're asked to go find the triggers, the things that really make them go look at whatever they're looking at. And uh, in other words, what event causes you? What's the last thing that happened to cause you to wanna go look at pornography? And I have to tell you, in seven years of doing this, every man I've met with who has struggled with this addiction to pornography, one of his triggers was he was tired or overworked. We, we, just, we need rest. But rest is not often what we think of. So many times what we do is we push ourselves and we push ourselves and we push ourselves to the brink so that the only thing we have energy for at the end of the day is to go home and plop down on the couch and grab the remote in our hand and turn on the television. But that's not very restful. In most cases, that's really not restful. We need to be intentional about our rest. And whether it's daily rest or weekly rest or even annual rest, I read an author this week who said, I've never seen anyone accidentally observe the Sabbath, right? See, there's this rest that is from God that is so much deeper than anything we can manufacture ourselves. It's the deep rest of Sabbath. It's what Jesus was talking about when he said, come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, so how do we enter into that rest, that true rest, uh, the rest that Mark Buchanan, author Mark Buchanan calls the rest of God? Well, I think there's three things we can do to help really understand how this works in our lives, three things we can do to give us rest. Number one is to find that thing that really gives you rest. You know, think of it this way. All of us, you've probably seen this illustration. All of us walk around with a bucket, right? And there are some things that fill our bucket up and there are some things and people that drain our bucket right? And so um, for some people, what fills your bucket might be different than somebody else's. So a great example is for me, running fills my bucket. Running is restful for me. Now, some of you are thinking, that's crazy. Running is the opposite of rest, right? I mean, running, you get up and you're active and you're doing something. Rest is when you sit down and you do nothing. But for me, Running fills my bucket. It's something that I can do. It's something I can let my brain go free. I can let the wind whip through my hair. Um, that wasn't funny. Uh, and, and when I come back from that, I'm more rested than when I left. And if I'm working on a problem or I'm, uh, I'm trying to uh, work on a sermon or whatever, and I leave it behind and I go for a run for an hour and I come back, everything is so much clearer. Why? Because I've rested. Now, my friend Ben, who I was working on this sermon with this week, for him, it's chopping wood. That seems crazy to me. That's a chore. But when he sees a great big pile of wood to be chopped out in his backyard, he's a happy guy. He wants to go out and chop that. Now, for you, it may be watching TV. It may be that you need more sleep. But for you, it may be a crossword puzzle or a jigsaw puzzle or something that I would go, mm, not really about that. That's okay. It's not my bucket. It's your bucket. Find out what fills it. The second thing is this. Don't carry a burden 
when you rest. Don't carry a burden. For so many of us, and for me, especially my tendency when I have some downtime is I start to work on solving problems. You know, I think about that thing that I'm working on at work, or I think about that issue I'm having with my family that I just really need to come up with a solution with. But then when we do that, like our, our brain never gets a chance to rest. And so when we're rest, our brain is still moving 100 miles an hour. And our brain is really what needs rest, right? If you wanna truly rest, you need to be able to lay those burdens aside while you're taking your intentional time of rest. And so one thing, one suggestion I've heard, uh, this has worked for me in the past, is you keep a notebook with you. When you're doing your rest things, if something pops up in your brain that I'm not gonna be able to rest until I get that out of my brain, you take your notebook and you write it down. And when you're done, it's still waiting there for you. It's ready to be solved. But what I find, as I said, is when I take that time to intentionally rest and get away from those burdens, those burdens seem so much lighter when I come back to them. It's like almost like my brain gets this moment of clarity in a lot of cases, right? So find what gives you rest. Don't carry a burden. And the third thing is to make time for the good shepherd. Like I don't take a day off work. I don't spend a single day off without opening my Bible, praying, spending time with God and in his word. I mean, Jesus is the good shepherd. And if we want rest, like real rest, if we want the rest of God, like we've got to let him in. He's the only one that can give us that. Now, here's the thing. If we don't lie down, the shepherd will make us lie down. There was a time in my life when <clears throat> things were going really well for me professionally. Uh, it was a time, I, I was, many of you know, I worked a corporate job before I came here and we had developed a new product and I was traveling a lot. I was on the road a lot. Um, uh, I was uh, in demand as a conference speaker and so I was going to conferences and speaking about this product and speaking about what our business was doing and I was getting the chance to demonstrate we were at trade shows a lot and there was one year where for um, the first half of the year, so the, for the first 26 weeks, I was on the road for 23 weeks, gone at least two nights from my family uh, that week and uh, it was my uh, best year ever financially but what I didn't understand was at home, like my family was really struggling. We, were, uh, we had two young kids at the time. We were building a house. And when I say we, I mean my wife because I was gone all the time. So she was having to do all the work. So even though financially, emotionally, uh, for me professionally, it was my best year ever, things were not going well personally. And then something happened. The economy started to slow down. Uh, sales started to drop off. This product didn't do as well as we had hoped it would do. And so there was less and less demand for me to be on the road. There was less and less demand for this product. And I started, I didn't understand it. Like I started asking God and every day in my prayers, I'd cry out to God, hey, wh why is this happening? I've been following you. I've been obeying you. Why are you letting this happen to me? And then one day, I'll never forget this, this day, I got home from a trip late on a Thursday night. I'd been gone all week. I came home late on Thursday night, so late the kids were already in bed when I got home. Uh, and I had an early morning meeting on Friday, so I had to get up early the next morning and leave. So I came home and left without getting to see my kids. And uh, my wife calls me middle of the day on Friday and said, hey, I wanna tell you what your daughter just said. Uh, she asked where you were, and I told her you were at work. And she said, no, no, where is he? And she brought me the map of the United States and put it in my hands and said, show me where daddy is today. And my wife said, isn't that cute? And I just started to cry. I just completely lost it. I thought, this is the legacy I'm leaving for my family. And I knew right then something had to change. But the pasture was so green. There was so much opportunity 
There was so much still to accomplish. How could I possibly, something had to change. (laughs) If you don't lie down, your heavenly father will make you lie down. He knows you need rest. And if you can't be trained to lie down, he will make you lie down even in green pastures. Now, what might this look like for you? It might look like a job loss. It might look like a relationship going south. It might look like financial instability. Now, in many ways, these things can look like the valley. And I'm not suggesting that God will cause these things to happen in your life, but I promise, I promise you, he can use them in your life to help you find your way back to him, to help bring you back. Hey, something else I thought about um, during this message was a physics lesson that that a friend of mine taught me one time. And it's that water always flows downhill. And I learned this of all places on the golf course because I was on the green like you do and I was scoping to see which way the ball was going to go when I putted it. And my friend said, you know it's gonna go towards the water. I said, how do you know that? Because water always flows downhill and the ball is gonna go downhill. Now, why is that important? Why is that lesson important? Because do you know where water is when you're looking for it? If it always flows downhill, that means more often than not, when you're in those valley seasons of the life, water is down in the valley. And if you've got to go get the still water, and maybe you're in one of those valley seasons now, do you ever ask the, take the time to ask not, God, why are you doing this to me? But God, what do you want to do in me? Like maybe he's keeping you in the valley now because that's where the still water is. Do you trust the shepherd enough to believe that maybe, just maybe he's got you in the valley for a reason? That maybe he's allowed you to stay there because he's leading you beside the quiet waters. In John chapter four, Jesus reminds us, he said uh, he was with a woman who was getting water out of a well and he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, here's what I'm getting at. God wants us to have eternal life. It's the whole reason he created us. He didn't create us to be temporary beings. He created us to be eternal. He he loves us. He wants to spend eternity with us. It's the whole reason he sent his son Jesus to be born as a baby and to live a perfect life and to die a horrible death on a cross and then to be raised from the dead so that those of us who believe in him can live with him for eternity. But here's the problem. When most of us think of eternity, we think someday. Like after we die, we're gonna spend time with Jesus. But if we are in Christ, eternity starts now. Jesus himself said that he came so that we could have life and have it abundantly. Like God wants that for you now. And we can be lulled into this misunderstanding though that when we're in the valley, God must not be very good or he must not be very powerful, right? Because if if God is truly good, as we're led to believe, and he's truly all powerful, as the Bible says, then surely he can do something to get me out of this time in my life. So if he's not doing that, he's either not very good or he's not very powerful. I mean, if, if he's not, it must mean he can't, right? So why isn't he fixing my financial problem? Why isn't he healing my body? Why isn't he fixing my relationship? 
Why isn't he giving me assurance about my future? He's either not very good or not very powerful. But I think if we just take one glimpse ahead at the next sentence in Psalm 23, let's just take a sneak peek at the very beginning of verse three and we can see the shepherd's intentions for our time in the valley. It says, he refreshes my soul. He refreshes my soul. Or your, your translation may say, he restores my soul. You may have grown up, grown up saying that he restores my soul, but the word that's used here for refreshes or restores is the Hebrew word shuv, shuv. And it means to bring back, to turn around. In other words, when we're in those valley seasons of our lives, our shepherd wants us to have rest. And if he, if we don't intentionally rest, he will make us rest. Why? Because he wants to return our soul to him. He wants to, as we would say at Genesis, he wants us to find our way back to God. It's all an effort to bring us back to him, to return our souls to him, to restore, to refresh, to turn our soul around and bring it back to him. He's a good God. He's a good father. He's a good shepherd. Let's pray together. God, I believe that you are good and that you are powerful. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in my friends' lives. And as I think about the people in this room, I've seen it in so many of their lives. You showing off your goodness, showing off your power, showing that you're a good shepherd, that you care about our lives, that you care about what's happening in them. And God, sometimes that's easy to forget when we walk through these valley seasons of our lives. And I have to admit, I am not the best at finding time to rest. So Lord, continue to teach me, continue to teach us, continue to show us, continue to make us lie down, even when pastures are green. Continue to lead us beside the still waters and show us your intentions for our lives. God, help us to see when we're in the valley that you may have something you want to do in us that's so much greater than any circumstance we could desire, than anything that we could want in our lives here on earth that you have something much greater for us. And in return, we'll trust you with that. We'll trust that you are good. We'll trust that you're the good shepherd. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.